You are listening to a sermon from Mission Point St. John. We hope this message encourages a deeper connection between you and Jesus, our Savior. tonight really believe that we can have a revival. Really, really believe we can have a revival. Well, there's two elements of revival. One is prayer, of course. Focus prayer. Amen. And the other is reaching the lost. Our vision for the world. Our vision for lost humanity around our world. Those two elements will send us a great revival if we can just get those two in unison together. Thank the Lord. Let's lift our hands one more time and just praise Him. We've got some news. We've got some good news for everybody here tonight. Let's just worship the Lord for a moment right now. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. Amen. Oh, Jesus, we praise you tonight. Amen. God bless you. you. May be seated. Revival is waiting. Thank you, choir. Amen. Revival is waiting. Every time I hear that song, that stirs me so much. I want revival so desperately. How many wants revival? Oh, God, send a revival. Send a revival, Lord. Great to see services like we do on Sunday morning with a packed house. Somebody said, "This the marks of a great church is not its seating capacity, but its sending capacity." I've heard that several times, and it's so true. It's not how many we can seat in our church, but it's our sending capacity. What can we do? What can we do to reach our world with this beautiful message of Jesus Christ? I believe with all my heart, I believe it takes baptism in Jesus' name, the infilling of the Holy Spirit to make it in the rapture. And I really believe that tonight. And I just tell you what, we need to get really, really serious about this, Pastor. Oh, I feel it tonight. I know I'm taking time I shouldn't be. I feel so desperately in my heart today that I want to see a great move of God. I want to say our offering for last month was great, $24,557.45. Can you clap your hands to the Lord and thank the Lord for that great amount? Amen. And I realize that Christmas is here and it's hard sometimes to balance everything together. But I want to say thank you. Thank you so much for your continued sacrifice and giving to missions. And eternity will reveal the many thousands of souls that are saved as a result of our and your sacrifice. Amen. I got some great reports from different missionaries this past uh, two or three weeks. Brother Cad that was here. Remember Brother Cad was here. Brother Cad reported that in Madagascar, National Convention, over 3,000 people received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Isn't that beautiful? Oh, hallelujah. I got chills all over me here. 
over 3,000 received the, I, I, I want to go to Madagascar. Will you give me a ticket to go to Madagascar? I like to go down there. Oh, my. I got chills all over me here. In Kenya, National Conference, a Trinitarian pastor was in attendance. He received the, the oneness message, the revelation of Jesus' name, baptism, returned to his village church and baptized over 200 people in the name of Jesus Christ. That beautiful in Kenya. That's wonderful. In the Cameroons, Brother Riddick reports 14 baptized and 35 received the Holy Ghost. In Greece, Brother Marino reported 11 filled with the Holy Ghost and one baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. In New Zealand, Brother and Sister Borders reports at that their conference approximately 370 people in attendance. And that's tremendous for New Zealand. 370 in attendance, 10 was filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. In Mozambique, if I pronounced that right, conference brother Cisco reported over 1,000 in that conference in attendance. Hallelujah. Oh, God, I'm on to Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Bangladesh, this year, enrollment at the Bible school is 100-plus students. Can you imagine with these 100 students what they can do when they graduate in the country of Bangladesh? There will be thousands reached with this beautiful message. Then in Fiji... Brother Wicket reported on Pentecost Sunday, 29 baptized and 10 filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Oh, let's just lift our hands one more time. Thank the Lord for all that's going on happening around us. We praise you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. We give you glory today. We give you all the praise today, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And I just want to say again, thank you so much for your faithfulness in giving to missions month after month. I just thank you. I know our, our church is blessed because of it. And it's a sacrifice. It's always a sacrifice. It means more when it's a sacrifice, I believe. But I just thank you for that. One more thing I'd like it to do, Brother Carter, before I leave. I'd like us to stand. We lost a great missionary this week. Brother Lloyd Shirley passed away. And I like us, I think his funeral is Friday. I'd like us just to pray for the Shirley family right now. Great missionary, great friend of ours. Can you lift your hands and just ask a blessing upon that family right now, Sister Shirley and the family. God, oh Lord, I just thank you, Lord, for the the memories of this great pastor, great missionary, Lord, that went to the Caribbeans, the hundreds of people that were baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost. We thank you for that family. We thank you, Lord, for all that was accomplished. Sister Shirley, Lord, and the family members, Lord, will you overcome. Wrap your arms about them today, Lord, we pray. Strengthen them, O God, in Jesus' precious name. In Jesus' was telling me just before I got up here that the months have arrived 
in Burundi. Amen. So that is wonderful news to hear. Amen. That they have arrived safely. Uh, just uh, before we move on any further, just want to welcome all of our guests with us here tonight. Amen. We welcome you. So good to have you with us here at Mission Point. Amen. And amen. And if you are a guest here, we'd love to meet you following the service. We have a welcome desk in the lobby. And uh, we've got a gift for you. We'd love to connect. And so we'll meet you there after service. And uh, we have a couple of different ways you can give. You can use e-transfer to donationmissionpoint.ca. You can also use the Dropbox that's located at the back. And you can go on our website. Um, just before we go to the Word here tonight, we have a number of needs that we've been praying for, that we've just been believing God for. Amen. Individuals that need miracles, people that need healing, people that need comfort and peace at this time. And Amen. We're going to pray for them, but we also want to pray for you. If you've got a need in this place, can you just lift up a hand, represent that need to God all across this place? We're going to ask God to have His way. Can we just lift up our voices together, lift up our hands one more time? Hallelujah. God, we come to you right now. Our healer, our strength, our Savior. God, you're everything that we need. We we turn to you right now. We ask, Lord, that you would heal. God, heal those who are sick. God, I pray that you would be with them. God, I pray for the special unspoken requests here tonight. Lord, you know the situations right now. God, I pray that you would perform a miracle in our midst. Hallelujah, Jesus. God, we thank you here today, Jesus, for everything that you've done. We pray, Lord, that you would be with those who are suffering with loss, that you would comfort them, give them strength, give them peace right now. In Jesus' name, we give you all the praise. We give you all the glory, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Man, it's good to be in God's house once again. Wednesday, amen, and uh, hopefully everyone's week has been good so far. I'm going to turn to the word of the Lord here tonight, and um, just, uh, I've felt, and I don't know entirely why, but I felt to put together a two-part series on the book of Ruth, and maybe it's because of us leading up to Christmas, but if you know anything about the book of Ruth, it's a story of redemption, and uh, I believe it leads us to the greatest redemption that ever happened when we see the foreshadowing of this book. And so just before we dive into it here tonight, we're going to ask God to have his way one more time. God, we are so thankful for your word. We're so thankful, Lord, that we get to read the contents of this great book. And Lord, hold it dear to us today. God, we thank you for the story of redemption that you've unfolded in our lives. God, everything that you've done for us, we don't take for granted. God, but every time we're in your presence, Lord, we reach out with anticipation of what you are about to do. We ask right now, let your precious word rest in our hearts, dig its roots down deep. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. How many of you have ever had a bad day? Oh, man, I've been the only one. (laughs) I've seen a couple of hands lifted up. All of us have had bad days, right? All of us have. Some days you are walking the dog. Other days the dog is walking you. We've had those days. Uh, Today was just kind of a crazy day like that. Woke up and thought that I had everything underneath control, but it was just one thing after another uh, took place. And my goodness... 
I ran out of water in the coffee machine and didn't have time to refill it, so I had to go with just partial coffee. That wasn't bad enough. And then the door was frozen on the car on Levi's side, so I had to fiddle with that, and we were already late. And uh, then I get to work, and I heat up my lunch, and I'm all ready for it, and I'm dumping the water out of it, and I dump the whole thing into the sink. And I'm like, my goodness. Yeah, and then I go down to Walmart, and I'm picking up a... I was trying to do something nice. I, my wife loves Diet Pepsi. You cannot always find the, the caffeine-free Diet Pepsi sh- that she likes to have at night. So I went down to Walmart. She doesn't know this yet because she hasn't been home. Uh, she just came straight here from work. But, so I picked up uh, a, a box of Diet Pepsi, and I was going out the door with it, and didn't that box break apart right there in the entrance of Walmart, and the cans went everywhere. And I'm like, my goodness... Mama said there'd be days like this. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you just have those days. You just have those days. And sometimes it's not just a bad day, but a series of bad days or bad weeks or even maybe bad years. And that's how it was for a woman named Naomi, who is the central character in the book of Ruth. And tonight I, I want to journey through this short book in the Old Testament. It's only four chapters long. It's the story of, uh, about this journey of two women from bitterness to redemption. The book of Ruth is for people who wonder where God is when one tragedy after another attacks their faith. It's a story for people who wonder whether a life of integrity in tough times is worth it. And it's a story for people who can't imagine that anything great could ever come out of their ordinary lives of faith. This was written in the middle of a 400-year period from 1500 B.C. to 1100 B.C. after Israel entered the Promised Land under Joshua and before there were any kings in Israel. You can see from the very last verse of the book of Judges what sort of period it really is. Judges chapter 21, verse 25, it says, In those days there was no king. In Israel, everyone did whatever seemed right in his own eyes. It was a very dark time in Israel as a disastrous cycle repeated itself over and over again. The people would sin. God would send enemies against them like he warned that he would. The people would cry for help. And God would mercifully raise up a judge to deliver them. And then he'd warn them again. And again and again, the people rebelled. And from All outward appearances, God's purposes for righteousness and glory in Israel were failing. One of the things the book of Ruth does for us is give us a glimpse of the hidden work of God. The things that we don't always see. God's ways are so much higher than our ways. And his thoughts are so much greater than our thoughts. He has limitless wisdom and insight into every fabric of his creation. Every single part. And we see this so clearly when we see what God does through these two widows. Incoming spoiler alert. For those of you who do not like to go to the back of the book and find out what happens before you read the book, plug your ears now. I'm just giving you that warning. Is everybody ready? (laughs) We learn that the child born to Ruth, in the very last verse of Ruth, when we turn to that, the child born to Ruth, and And Boaz is Obed, and Obed became the father of Jesse, and Jesse became the father of David, who led Israel to her greatest heights of glory. 
But before there was ever a king over Israel, God was working through the future king's great-grandmother. Before God worked in powerful ways through a boy named David, God had to work through the bitterness of a woman named Naomi. One of the main messages of Ruth is that God is at work even in the worst of times. And even when God's people are not faithful, God remains faithful. And he is at work carrying out his plan. He does not change. He will always be faithful. Amen. I'm thankful for that. So uh, when you or I think that God is far from us or has turned against us, the truth is that he is at work laying a foundation for redemption, restoration, and blessing in our lives. Even when it seems like he's not working. He's working all things together for the good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. The first five verses of the book of Ruth describe the difficulties that Naomi experienced. It opens up with a very somber scene. It says, Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, the name of his wife was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to the country of Moab and remained there. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons. Now they took wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah and the name of the other Ruth, and they dwelt there about ten years. Then both Malon and Chilion also died. So the woman survived her two sons and her husband. Those five verses tell so much detail, and it covers a period of about 10 years. It describes so much hardship and heartbreak. First, Naomi and her family experience a famine and decide to move to a foreign country. And there, in that foreign country, her husband dies. Naomi's sons, they decide to marry Moabite women. Then both of Naomi's sons died without having children. No one to carry on the lineage. You would think that Disney wrote this. In summary, Naomi was left without her husband, without her two sons, and without grandchildren. My grandfather, he worked on the docks here in St. John. My grandfather and grandmother and their nine children, yes, you heard me correctly, nine children, lived here in the city. But my grandfather, he dreamed about having land out in the country that he could turn into a farm. And he finally did way out in Wickham. If you don't know where that is, just imagine driving in the middle of nowheres and then drive a little bit past that. He bought farmland and moved a small trailer onto it and began to work the land, but unfortunately he was only able to enjoy this dream of his for a year before he suddenly passed, leaving behind my grandmother and their nine kids. What he left behind, though, was a home on his dreamland in the country for my grandmother and his kids to grow up in and enjoy for the next 45 years. Looking back now, it is hard to miss God's fingerprints on it all and how his unwavering faithfulness is to his people. Looking back, we see God's beautiful work of provision. Naomi, she found herself far from home without husband or sons or grandchildren to surround her. She was about as helpless and vulnerable as anyone could be. And this is where the story of God's faithful love 
for her begins. And we see the faint beacon of hope in verse 6. In verse 6, we learn that while in Moab, Naomi heard that while all the other land was experiencing famine, the land that God gave to his people was flourishing abundantly. Surrounded completely by famine everywhere she looked. But I've heard what God had promised is abundant. What God had promised is flourishing. Naomi hears these rumors that her homeland, Israel, is doing well. God is helping his people by sustaining their harvest and blessing them with rich returns. And so she sets her sights on going home, tracing back the journey she traveled years ago. But this time, however, was different. She is now traveling this path as a widow. And as they began their journey back, Naomi decided to encourage her daughters-in-law to stay with their own people. She gives them different excuses, different things, different reasons why. And this is a scene, I won't go through it here tonight, but it goes through in in, uh, verse 8 to 15. It's a scene with lots of waterworks, and rightfully so. These three women were brought together through marriage, and now they, they have this commonality to them in their widowship had suffered greatly. They stay, staying together would have been hard, but parting would have been a different kind of hard. Naomi gave some persuasive reasons for the women to leave her. One good reason had to do with Naomi's misery. She said Naomi's life was too bitter and she wanted something better for them. This isn't the life for you. I want something better. Another good reason that she gave for them to leave was the fact that she had no other sons for them to marry. And so she she told them, are you going to wait for me to find a husband and have more kids and wait for those kids to be grown so that you can marry them? Of course not. Naomi thought that it was hopeless for Ruth and Orpah to remain committed to the family name. And we can learn an important lesson from Naomi. She was so embittered with the way God had dealt with her that she lost hope in God's merciful work in her life. But, but, the Lord had a plan for their life that would work out for their good in such a beautiful way. Orpah decided to take Naomi up on her offer and kissed her goodbye. But Ruth, on the other hand, clung to her and delivered one of the most amazing pledges of committed love we have in all of history. Ruth said this in verse 16, Entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. And your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. Ruth makes a covenant to her destitute mother-in-law. And it's simply astonishing. It includes leaving her own family and homeland behind. It means going to an unknown land with a new people and new customs and new language. It was a commitment to follow Naomi wherever she goes. And so the question is left to be answered here tonight. What would you do for your mother-in-law? No, maybe that's not the question. The most amazing commitment of all was this. Your God will be my God. Keep in mind that Naomi had just said in verse 13, the Lord's hand has turned against me. 
Naomi's experience of God was bitterness, but in spite of this, Ruth forsakes her religious heritage and makes the God of Israel her God. Your God will be my God. And somehow or another, Ruth had come to trust in Naomi's God in spite of Naomi's bitter experiences. In bitterness, in sorrow, in joy, in contentment, He is my God too. Here in Ruth, we have an example of a godly person. Someone who goes, who, who through faith in God sees beyond present setbacks. Who remains secure even without the securities and comforts of this world. Someone who has courage to venture into the unknown, into the unfamiliar with a radical commitment to the Lord. Naomi was unable to persuade Ruth to abandon her and, and return to her own home. So together... They go to Bethlehem. Verse 18, it says, And when she saw that she was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. Now the two of them, not in a bad way, I don't think. Don't read into that too much. Now the two of them went until they came uh, to Bethlehem. And it happened when they came to Bethlehem that all the city was excited because of them. And the woman said, Is this Naomi? But she said to them, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why do you call me Naomi? Since the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has inflicted me. So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab. Now they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Naomi was unshaken and sure about three things. God exists. He is sovereign. And He has afflicted me. It seems as if Naomi has forgotten the story of Joseph, who also went into a foreign country. He was sold as a slave. He was falsely accused of fornication and put in prison. He had every right to say with Naomi, the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. But he kept his faith. And God turned it all for his good and for the good of the nation of Israel Joseph, he testified of this to his brothers on the other side of his affliction. And he says, as for you, you meant it for evil against me, but God meant it for good. Naomi was right to believe in a sovereign, almighty God who governs the affairs of nations and families and gives each day its part of pain and pleasure. But she needed to open up her eyes to the signs of God's merciful purposes. As King David would write in Psalm 23, he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He has placed his name on his people and will ensure that his name is lifted high. He will be praised. It was God who made a way home for Naomi out of the famine that surrounded her. Notice the delicate touch of hope at the end of verse 22. It says, they arrived in Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. If only Naomi could have seen what that was going to mean for her and Ruth. If she could have just seen what that meant. That they arrived in Bethlehem at that exact time. And if only Naomi could have had her eyes open to Ruth. What a a gift. What a blessing that she was. Obviously, she wouldn't have said any of this if she could see that Ruth, in Ruth, she would gain a grandson who would be the grandfather of the greatest king of Israel, and that this king of Israel would foreshadow the king of kings, Jesus Christ, the Lord of all. If Naomi could have seen that, 
We must never think that the sin of our past means that there is no hope for our future. We can never allow ourselves to think that our past does not define what God's future is for us. We have a hope. We have a hope. Somebody say that tonight. We have a hope. How cool is it that God brought Naomi back to Bethlehem with Ruth in tow? How wonderful that years later, the young David would be shepherding the sheep in the hills around Bethlehem. Generations later, other shepherds in those same hills of Bethlehem would hear the words of angels announcing the arrival of the Messiah, the Christ, and that they would find the Lord Almighty wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger right there in little Bethlehem. This long-awaited Savior named Jesus would die on a cross for the sins of the whole world. It may seem like things are in pretty bad shape for us, maybe for you tonight, for our world. Maybe you're having a bad day, a bad week, a bad month, or maybe a bad life. But don't lose faith. There is cause for hope. Hope has a name, and it's Jesus. I used to watch my grandmother knit and sew. She put together patches of cloth, and I, I could never make sense of it at the start. She would have just a pile of different patches, of different cloth that she would start with. And I, I would watch her do that, and I would watch her put together tapestry. But if you look at the back of a quilt, that's usually where I was sitting, underneath of it. If you look at the backside of a quilt or the backside of a tapestry while it's being made, all you see is just chaotic stitching and knots and strings, but the maker, the maker sees the top of the tapestry and knows what immeasurable beauty will come out of all the pokes and prods of the needle and thread. That's certainly how it must have felt for Naomi and Ruth. What was happening in their lives seemed like the back of a tapestry. The things that happen in our lives are so often a mystery or a puzzle to us, but they aren't to God. They don't come as a surprise to God. It doesn't take him off guard. And he says, oh my goodness, I didn't expect that to happen. The Lord knows all things. And he knows what he is trying to do in our lives. He knows what he is doing. But we have to trust him and allow him to work and realize he knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. To see what God is up to, we have to continue with the story. Because in chapter 2 of the book of Ruth, it opens with the words, verse 1, There was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth, of the family of Elimelech. His name was Boaz. Turn to your neighbor and say, ooh, Boaz. (laughs) No, you don't have to do that. Uh, The important things we learn about Boaz from the single verse is that he is a relative of Naomi's deceased husband. And that's going to be a very important fact. We also learn that he's a prominent man. He's a man of wealth man of great standing in that community. And equally important, we learn that he is a man of noble character. He is a good and godly man. The story continues in verse 2. It says, So Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him, in whose sight I may found favor. She said to her, Go, my daughter. Then she left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. She happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz who was of the family of Elimelech. In that day, a person had to either beg or find a way to work. 
Ruth took the initiative to go to the fields and begin gleaning. Her suggestions that she go into the fields and gather grain behind someone, it's a reference to quite an old practice, a common practice in ancient times called gleaning. According to Old Testament law, a landowner was required to leave a part of his crop in the field so that the poor could come in after the harvesters had done their work and pick up what was left over. It was a form of welfare. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 9, it tells us about this command. It says, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field, nor shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest, and you shall not glean your vineyard, nor shall you gather every grape of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the stranger. I am the Lord your God. This was how the people of God were instructed to look out for the poor. Yes, it's humbling. Yes, it's degrading to be the one searching for the scraps left behind. In the corners of the field, you would see the poor gleaning whatever they could find to survive on. It's all Ruth had left to do. All she had to offer Naomi besides her loyalty was to give all of herself to provide. Maybe at the end of the day, she could get enough to sustain them until the next day. Just live day by day. Trust God for our daily bread. Ruth was trusting that God provided what they needed for that day. David hadn't been born yet to write, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. But I'd like to believe that he learned that principle from his grandmother. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me. Here in a barley field, we see a widow take hold of hope and trust that God would meet her with his goodness and mercy. So having received Naomi's permission, Ruth went out and began looking for a field to glean from. And the text says that she just happened, she just happened to end up in a field owned by Boaz. What are the chances of that? What a coincidence, right? Wrong. God was at work. And when God is at work, there is no coincidence. There's no accident in God's plans. Out of all the fields, of all the different field owners in the area of Bethlehem, she ends up in this field. Tells us in verse 4, Now behold, behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered him, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his servant, Who was in charge of the reapers? Whose young woman is this? Who is the young lady? He wants to know. And so the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered and said, It is the young woman. Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she said, please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and has continued from morning until now, though she rested a little in the house. At some point during that day, Boaz came to the field where Ruth had been working. Why do you think the writer shares with us the way that Boaz greeted the workers? I think the writer is giving us more of a glimpse into Boaz's character and life. And as Boaz looked over the work going on in his field, he noticed the young woman gleaning behind the harvesters and asked the chief harvester who she was. The harvester told Boaz that she was the young Moabite woman who had returned to Bethlehem with Naomi, and he began singing her praises. He said she was a hard worker who stayed on her feet and rested only a little bit in the shelter. And after hearing this report about Ruth, the Bible says that Boaz went over and spoke to her. And uh, we learn from this in verse 8 to 10 
The things that he gives Ruth permission to do are an incredible display of favor and generosity. Boaz gives her permission to stay in his field. She doesn't need to go anywhere else to find what she needs. You can stay here. You're safe here. And he suggests that she work closely with his own female workers that he has there in that field, and he gives instruction for no one to touch her. Make sure that she's protected. And on top of all that, Ruth was told that she could even drink from the water jars placed there for his workers. Ruth was humbled and astounded by Boaz's generosity and asked, why have I found favor with you so that you notice me although I am a foreigner? In other words, why would you be so kind? I'm a nobody. Like Ruth in this story, we can't understand We just simply can't understand why an all-powerful God loves us and shows us kindness and goodness and mercy. Who are we that we should find favor in His eyes? We can't understand it, and we sure don't deserve it, but still, He cleanses us from our sins. He washes away all of our guilt and condemnation, placing His Spirit inside of us, takes the unrighteousness that we are clothed with and clothes us with His own righteousness. Like King David would write, He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness. Hallelujah. Verse 11, Boaz, he answered and said to her, It has been fully reported to me all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, and how you have left your father and your mother in the land of your birth and have come to a people whom you did not know before. And the Lord, repay your work and a full reward be given you by the Lord God of Israel under whose wings you have come for refuge. Isn't that amazing? Under whose wings you have come for refuge. Then she said, let me find favor in your sight. My Lord, for you have comforted me and have spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I am not like one of your maidservants. Because Ruth had been so compassionate and generous with her mother-in-law, because Ruth had sowed seeds of faithful love and courage and self-sacrifice, she was now reaping the rewards of generous, genero- gracious generosity. And all Ruth could do was let Boaz know how much his favor meant. The other thing that Boaz brought up beyond what Ruth had done for her mother-in-law was the fact that she displayed, uh, the faith that she displayed in God. Boaz said that Ruth had sought refuge in God and placed herself under God's wings. David would write about what that was like in Psalm 91 verse 4. He shall cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. Ruth went back to work, but at mealtime, Boaz approached her and said, come over here and have some bread and dip it in the vinegar sauce. Now, I got looking this up because I needed to know what it meant. And I'm, I'm, uh, so I got digging through the commentaries and reading different articles and stuff about it. And I come to find out that this is actually uh, like pita bread. And it wasn't vinegar sauce that it's referring to here. It was hummus. Now, doesn't that sound good? He says, you bring that on over here. You come and dip your bread in this hummus. And uh, anyways, that's just, that, that was free. For any of you that are thinking about a snack after church. So she sat beside the harvesters and he offered her roasted grain and she ate and was satisfied and had some left over. She went from a humble beggar, just trying to find whatever she could in the field, in the corners of the field with the rest of the poor, 
just whatever we can find to survive for today. And she ends up being treated like family. What an amazing picture of God's provision. Hours earlier, Ruth found herself picking the leftovers in the field of a stranger. Hours later, she finds herself sitting as an invited guest at the table, perhaps enjoying the best meal that she's had in a long time. But she didn't just think about herself. She took a to-go bag home for Naomi. And here's how our story for tonight comes to a conclusion. Verse 15, when she rose to glean, Boaz commanded his young men, saying, let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. <laughs> let, her let her glean among the stuff that, that she's not supposed to be gleaning from. Also, let grain from the bundles fall purposely for her. Just randomly drop stuff. Oops. Leave it that she may glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening and beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. Then she took it up and went into the city, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned, so she brought out and gave to her what she had kept back after she had been satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where have you gleaned today? And where did you work? Blessed be the one who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. A light goes off in Naomi's mind and said to her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he of the Lord, who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and the dead. Naomi said to her, This man is a relation of ours, one of our close relatives. Ruth the Moabitess said, He also said to me, You shall stay close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with this young, these young women and that people do not meet you in any other field. So she stayed close by the young women of Boaz to glean until the end of barley harvest and wheat harvest, and she dwelt with her mother-in-law. With the blessings and provisions of Boaz and his harvesters, Ruth was able to come away with a huge amount of grain from one day of gleaning, 26 quarts of barley. It may not mean much to us tonight, but when we consider the fact that the average daily wage for a full harvester was about one quart of barley. We understand what David was writing about when he wrote the words, my cup runneth over. And on that first day of gleaning, Ruth came home with almost a month's worth of wages. When Naomi saw how much Ruth had gleaned, she wanted to know where Ruth had gleaned, and she offered a blessing on the man who noticed Ruth. Ruth. Sorry, <laughs> Ruth. Then when Naomi heard that the man who owned the field was Boaz, she praised God and asked God to bless Boaz for showing such great kindness. Naomi also informed Ruth that Boaz was a close relative and was one of their family redeemers. In other words, he could be someone that Ruth could marry so Elimelech's family name could continue. And we will discuss more about that next week, but I don't want us to get ahead of ourselves Naomi could clearly see that God was at work and encouraged Ruth to continue to glean in the field of Boaz where she had protection and provision. And so she stayed there. We aren't, we aren't told if Ruth brought home as much grain each day that she did on that first day. But clearly the needs of Naomi and Ruth were being met. What a difference in the disposition and outlook of Naomi in chapter 2 than it was in chapter 1. And that difference came as a result of hope and trust in God. She went from doom and gloom to joy and thanksgiving as she begins to see what God is doing. 
his faithful provision. Naomi was beginning to see the side of the tapestry that God was working on, the things that he was doing. We learn from this story to never give up on God. We may be puzzled and confused about why things are happening or are not happening, but we must trust that God knows what he is doing and God knows what lies ahead. He's not surprised by life's upsets and turmoils. We must never give up. The darkness of the night will give way to the morning light. God is still working. He is our refuge and strength. And I I can't say it nearly as well as this, though. And there's a scripture that I think of often in the 91st Psalm, and it's, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my God. In Him I will trust. And in Him I do trust. And I think sometimes now I find uh, where I'm not being able to get out. I guess nobody is, but I can't get out for anything too much anymore. And I get frightened at night sometimes. In the night I get fear this comes over me. And I begin to think of this scripture down here where it says that He will hide me under His wings. And I know I can lay in that bed and talk to Jesus and know that he is there and he covers me with his wings and protects me and gives me peace. I don't know what I'd ever do without him. I just wouldn't want to live one day without knowing I had God in my life. Amen. A faithful witness. Amen. If I could have the music come back at this time. King David, he would write in Psalm 57, verse 1, Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me. For my soul trusts in you. And in the shadow of your wings, I will make my refuge until these calamities have passed by. Maybe you find yourself surrounded by famine tonight. Everything around you seems destitute and hopeless. Everywhere you seem, you turn seems like that. Maybe you've made the only steps you know to make tonight towards the provision of the Lord and you find yourself gleaning from just the leftovers in the corners of the field. But tonight, God wants you to know that it's out in the corner of that field. He has established and orchestrated more for you than you could ever imagine. He's not finished working. He's not finished working. Thank you for joining us today. If you want more information, connect with us on our website at missionpoint.ca. God bless you.